wonderful good morning a wonderful good morning um wonderful good morning good evening good oh god mate i tim i don't even know what's the time zone anymore man you know it's just like work 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 and then there comes the highlight of my week podcast <laughs> yeah but it's 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 true you get up in the morning it's dark you do the podcast in the evening it's dark but um i think it's the guests it's our guests that shine some light into the world yeah. ah. Ah, so beautiful <laughs> yes i was about to say let's bring some light in the dark in into the topics uh that we've had many times on the podcast already um We'll talk about our favorite subject, sustainability. We have um, a wonderful guest here today um, who works in so many different associations, partnerships and organizations that I, I can't just like say, that's XYZ. Um, yeah, doing a XYZ at what I, yeah. It's a bit more complicated than that. But um, Wonderful lady. A pioneer, I would say a pioneer in her industry. Yeah. Um, and, and like with somebody that's actually, you know, well, what, what I find remarkable, somebody that actually steps up to the mic and says, you know what, what we have done was wrong. Yeah. And the best thing, and, and then she says, what we have done is wrong, but what we can change is that we change ourselves and with changing ourselves we will change everything but let's not get too philosophical I would yeah say. definitely i say just that like um it's 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 definitely true what she says um changing ourselves and it's more about it's more it's more about change um than just like learning how to breathe properly or this whole mindfulness stuff i mean that's good but it won't change anything um we need more <laughs> uh, so Get Let's yourself a cup listening. of tea, get yourself a beer, have a cup of coffee, and enjoy. Enjoy. A wonderful good morning, a wonderful good afternoon, wherever you are in the world. Is um, We're going back to the United States, and it's the week of Thanksgiving. And uh, we have a lovely guest with us, Susanna. Thank you so much for coming. And uh, I don't know, is your turkey ready in the in the oven? Still, still trying to make it. <laughs> so, so this means the turkey is on the agenda then, or um, what's planned for the for the holidays, the feast? Yes, indeed, indeed. This is a special time for all of us, um, especially many families have lost their loved ones. Uh, yeah. or can only celebrate this holiday in a virtual gathering. So um, we are very grateful and definitely taking some time out um, from our normal uh, Zoom call. Um, yeah. So thank you for organizing the <laughs> podcast today. And thank you for those who are listening in today. I think uh, we all our life have been disrupted by the pandemic. Yeah, it's, 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 um, it's well, looking at it, it's quite a spectacular year, I would say. Um, the unforeseen has come and well everybody had to adjust and digital transformation had to progress within 
I don't know, 10 years had to be done in six months, I guess. But um, yeah, um, a little bit more about Susanna. She is the uh, part of the Data Center Advisory Board for the UN Sustainability Development. Um, Susanna, but maybe you could tell the listeners also a little bit more about yourself, because from what I can see, you're an expert in many fields and a lot of companies and a lot of uh, associations value your um, opinion. So maybe you can tell everybody what is it exactly that you do? Oh, thank you, Paul. Thank you for having me today, and thank you for organizing it. Um, currently, I'm in base. I am based in the Bay Area, in USA. Uh, I'm a member of the Climate Fifty. Personally, I'm very passionate about influencing the data center and the ICC sector, um, specifically relating to the journey of clean energy. Uh, I have been into data center industry for about 25 years. I'm a computer scientist. I got my bachelor's degree in computer science and subsequently got my MBA from Pepperdine University and an advanced uh, graduate business school degree from Stanford University. So at the moment, I am an energy fellow uh, at Stanford. I follow science. Uh, I love data. Um, it is definitely an attraction of me that I entered into the data center industry as a software professional. And uh, since then, I've been very passionate about working um, 24 by 7, operating data center. I think I have designed and built over 200 plus megawatt now. Uh, oh, wow. With, yeah, with distributed team across the countries. Um, one of them is my favorite. It's your home country, uh, Munich, Germany. Uh, but, def <laughs> but definitely also in Frankfurt, of course. Uh, and yeah. in UK. And uh, yeah, so it's been, um, time has gone by really fast and I continue to lead innovation and sustainability now um, uh, and also help to promote the UN Sustainable Development Program uh, for the hyperscalers and uh, other clients. Wow, that's great. Um, so we always have before we get more into that, I want the people to get to know you, Susanna, as a person. So we always have a couple of questions that we ask all our okay. guests to, because then also people can sort of put you into, let's say, the generation you're from, right? Um, so the first thing is, uh, what was your first mobile phone, if you can remember? Was it a suitcase? Or But I'm going to leave the answer to you. My first mobile phone is actually the BlackBerry by RIM. <laughs> Oh, wow. Okay. And um, did you remember anything special about it? Or yes. is it? Yes. Yeah. I, I love the keyboard, Paul. And uh, I thought it's one of the best uh, keyboards still uh, for the mobile phone. And I love the fact that, oh, my God, you know, I will be able to read my email on this little tiny devices anywhere. <laughs> it was uh, amazing in that yeah, regard that's... and we actually gave it we each of us actually start giving names to this uh to the to the to our blackberry so uh there was actually a cult going on that everybody just obsessed with their mobile phone it was kind of fun yeah um then the next question is that we always ask people where was your first contact with a computer when was the first time you really got in touch with computer science itself because i mean you you said you studied it and but it was that really the first time or was there an earlier point when you first time really got in contact with computers? It, it was actually my first time. I, uh, I was so excited to be able to um, study computers, computer science as a major. Um, I wanted always to do that. And uh, I guess my interaction with them is my first uh, 
on-campus job to work in the computer lab. That's when I really first touched the mainframe. Uh, and uh, But indirectly, I think I touched it in the era where I started is actually the punch card because uh, we actually use a punch card so we can actually feed that and get that process uh, and get that codified in a binary form so the mainframe wow. can be able to read our programmable logic. So um, believe it or not, that's actually a, a beautiful experience be able to do that. I still feel like very, uh, very powerful to be able to actually have a, a set of deck of cards that you punch the hole in the card so the computer can read it. And indeed, it actually, that program perform a software function uh, like a bubble sort, you know, I mean, you know, just very simple work. And, uh, and I felt, wow, this is amazing. It's going to change the world about how software and logic and computer science is going to evolve the industry. So it was it was a good and it has and, and it has changed the world. I mean, if looking back at it, it has definitely changed the world. Yes. Um, and now comes the question, which is something we also ask and people and everybody has a different definition so our podcast of course is called the uptime punks yeah. and everybody defines the word uptime in a different way it has a different meaning to them if it's their personal life or their work life um how would you define uptime for yourself well actually being born in hong kong and actually raised in uk i felt like uptime means it's always available when i wanted it so I brought that definition um, to the computer science field. So it was not a surprise to me when we have to measure our performance based on 24 by 7 and 365 uh, from a quantitative perspective. So, so when I worked for eBay as a COO for the international operation, we were focused quite a bit on user experience, Paul. And so uptime to me would be it should be available whenever I wanted it. It should be available whenever you wanted it. And that's your definition of that time. Maybe a little bit different than mine because you may access it with different devices than mine, but it's the same user experience. It should be always available when I wanted it. I think that's a great definition. And now I'm going to ask you my last question. Um, so during lockdown, um, you probably experienced a lockdown yourself. Me and Tim were in London, we're in our second one. Thomas is in Germany, also in the second one. Probably me and Tim in London are going to have a third and a fourth and a fifth one, by the way, the government is going at the moment. That's a different conversation. But all of us somehow during our lockdown experience have discovered, uh, have discovered somehow something which is called like a COVID gadget. So for me, it's like the smart bulbs at home so I can change the ambient light. Um, some other people have um, discovered the Kindle, for example. Is there anything that you have discovered during this period of time where you're like, well, that's my, if I'm going to think back about COVID lockdown 20 years from now, that's the gadget I have discovered during that time that made my life a little bit easier and gave me a little bit more sanity? Yes, that's a very good question for all of us. It's actually be really fun to uh, look back rather than living through it, so to speak. Um, I would say Paul would be my wireless extender. Um, being in California, I like to spend time outside. So I take a lot of my meetings, frankly, outside in my deck overlooking the whole Silicon Valley because I live high on the mountains and has a good view and we have good weather. 
we still have actually very warm weather this week. Um, you guys should come visit if you can. <laughs> um, we are in our 60s and our 70s, right? So, you know, it's fairly warm and I, you know, I have my t-shirt and my shorts on and I like to work outside rather than being inside. Uh, and I think it's safer to be outside, right? So um, I was looking for uh, and install a few uh, wireless extender throughout my house. And uh, so all of us uh, can stretch it out a little bit more to be able to have some flexibility, a, 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 a pretense of uh, that we can be actually going going somewhere. Well, I, I, actually, what you have done is you've extended your uptime. Yeah, you're more operational in more areas of um, your living grounds, if you look at it from another perspective. Huh? So uh, there comes uptime, 24-7 availability. Great. Okay. Um, yeah, so then um, I think Tim has prepared some really great questions to to start this off. Um, so many topics we're, we're going to cover. Um, some of them are Tim's favorite. Tim loves anything to do with green and saving the environment and doing something right for the world but uh which is yeah, the reason it. which is the reason i brought susanna to this podcast mm -hmm. um yeah definitely so i could actually add another question um about your uh first timers you are a member of the climate 50 so uh we'll come to what you do there and uh, to the unep you partnership but another question that um, I have never asked in this podcast is, when did you first realize that the climate is changing? Yes, I realized that I have to say, Tim, probably uh, 15 years ago, um, when I was studying some report and data uh, when I helped out as a volunteer for my school, Stanford, to convert ourselves into clean energy and put together the plan. And it is actually very simple. It really doesn't take a degree for us to go figure that out, that the temperature genuinely arising. And we also seeing the increased demand uh, throughout the campuses um, that our energy consumption are just going in one direction. And by doing so, we are bricking some infrastructure that wasn't intended for the campus to use. Because uh, Stanford is a research uh, university. So we're very well connected with like wonderful university like Oxford, uh, MIT, Cornell, and other great university around the world, especially many of them in Germany uh, that are very good in science. So our infrastructure was working not at the best, uh, I would say, performance level. And being a computer scientist, I've become to realize that. So, and then I go back and take a look at the data uh, with my professors, uh, which I'm very lucky to have access to. And we realized that right on campus uh, and throughout the alliance that we have with other universities, Tim, that the data was trending in the wrong direction. Um, the climate crisis indeed showed the global warming, the early signs of the global warming. So we contacted many smart people in our industry, in our network, and uh, we basically starting to put together the data, the plan, and be able to gather the evidence. So I do follow science, and I do like to look at quantitative data. So I would say that's probably is my first aha moment that I realized that what we're going to continue is going to be increased 
digital transformation. And if we don't solve the problem, uh, actually, this is, you know, could be, I would say, 15 to 20 years ago. Uh, it is something that we will be very sorry for because we are borrowing resources from the future generation. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, sure. I mean, um, I perhaps didn't, I, 15, 20 years ago, I was perhaps a bit too small to realize all that. But um, it, it was mainly through media and um, uh and third third uh, sources basically where i got to where oh yeah there might be something wrong so it's great to to actually be able to talk to somebody who who looked at the who, who looked at raw data and noticed that you mentioned infrastructure on the campus that didn't um work the way it should because it consumed too much energy what kind of infrastructure was that would you like to Elaborate yeah, on that. I would. A very good point. I think that would, um, you know, just to keep it simple, I would say there are basically two level of infrastructure um, that our campuses has to revamp. Uh, the first of them is basically our energy infrastructure. Um, we try to be um, at Stanford. We try to be um, independent um, or self reliant, so we don't really depend on the grid too much. Uh, to take resources. So Stanford actually has its own utility and our own energy generation was not sufficient oftentimes to support the demand that our students and our faculty have. Or actually Stanford also has a very big um, uh, medical school. And currently now, of course, is very, very busy with COVID hitting. Um, and uh, so that part of it is also very important. So we found out from the energy infrastructure perspective, we oftentimes missed our own capacity planning uh, in terms of balancing the supply and the demand of what we actually would be able to do. Uh, the second one is connectivity. Um, we absolutely see that uh, the wireless mobility um, you know, it, it needed to be a re-ram from an infrastructure perspective. Uh, a lot of times, uh, a lot of people like to be outside, you know, like in a wonderful environment like California, we have good weather. So a lot of folks like to continue to actually learn, live, play and work um, anywhere. So we felt that there's a challenge from a connectivity, connectivity infrastructure. So both of them actually are the elements that we need to provide uh, when we build our data center. <clears throat> As a center, that, I think that's uh, especially great and uh, that you have that vast experience um, from the climate side, from the data center as well. You mentioned about uh, the EN, EN project and you uh, mentioned the hyperscaler project. Uh, can you talk a little bit, give us a little bit of insight, <clears throat> especially um, I would like to get um, what's your impression concerning the hyperscalers out of the US or basically where we are coming from. We have our trainings in Frankfurt. There are some hyperscalers. Are there different approaches uh, in terms of technology? Maybe uh, if you can give us a brief overview from uh, the experience, yeah, I say out of this project. Uh, definitely, I will be glad to. So Thank as you. an advisor to the UN uh, Sustainable Development Program, there are 17 goals. Uh, most of the folks uh, were not familiar with it when I started talking with them, I would say just a few years ago. And uh, so it was wonderful to be able to have a chance to actually have the dialogue with the hyperscaler, all of them, uh, and uh, help them to come to appreciate 
the importance from a data center perspective, which I know most of them already throughout my 25 years. And I said, hey, you know, that may be something that we need to start in embracing rather than just focusing on uh, what we data center care about, which can be summed up in one word, Tom, resilience. So data center, you know, to net it all out from all of us that come out, and I think still today, um, focusing on resilience, because resilience is directly correlated to what Paul talked a little bit earlier relating to uptime, which is a wonderful name, by the way, of your podcast called Uptime Punk, because um, it's still, you know, uh, evolving. It, it's uh, even though it's been standing as a pillar for such a long time. So the UN Sustainable Goal, including, for example, uh, some of the goal about affordable clean energy. So having a dialogue, it just makes sense. Um, we need to stop doing our status quo in a data center industry. We need to stop using fossil fuel resources. And we also need to stop disposing what we don't need back to the environment when we just grabbed it and use it and toss it out from a linear economy perspective. So many of the dialogue becoming very engaging. Uh, most of the folks that I work with, I want to thank them today. Again, they are genuinely pioneer in terms of transforming the digital um, computing and connecting everything era. So it make a lot of sense for the next generation of data center, Tom, that we transition to use renewable energy per kilowatt consumed. So it is wonderful to hear in the beginning of 2020, if you dial back just about you know 10 or 11 months ago, which seems such a long time for all of us, that many of the hyperscaler, if not all of them, have come out with very strong ambition that they have made their carbon neutrality and a carbon negative pledge. Uh, specifically, I would say two of them um, have also created a $1 billion and a $2 billion climate action clean tech fund. So they wanted to get access to wonderful technologies around the world with a lot of thought leaders and to think about how we need to accelerate and use that fund to basically as a private stimulus to accelerate um, how cloud computing can not stay to be a dirty cloud and transition to clean energy in this era. And then the pandemic hit and all of us uh, were focusing on basically working in a new normal. Uh, but if you can see that we have not heard much about a computing platform going down because we have planned the capacity quite well, even though we have, for example, Microsoft mentioned 75 million Teams minutes per day, and Google are picking up about two to three new million users on Google Hangout per month. And Zoom has gone 400% growth in the last four months, uh, each month in an aggregate growth. Um, so with that kind of an astounding platform growth, uh, the infrastructure of the data center holding up and still keeping the uptime. Uh, so that makes it very exciting for all of us working in the industry that we'll be able to continue to support folks in a new normal to learn, live, play, and work um, with that kind of an increase. And now the question is, we need to also make that to be a threefold. Not only we're we just gonna provide the resilience and the uptime, 
but we also need to make it more sustainable. And we also need to think about uh, embracing a circular economy instead of looking at from a linear economy perspective in terms of the using the resources. So none of us, every day that we do work, uh, will be sorry for the next generation because we are depleting the resources according to the Google report at 1.5 planet uh, pace. And we don't have 1.5 planet, we only have one and we all share it. So we, we must uh, take the action. And I fundamentally believe the climate crisis is happening now. So some of the key differences I would see is the following. Um, you all are in Europe uh, and the culture itself is already inherent to be embracing clean energy. And I would say you are ahead in the world compared to, I would say the US, which is still struggling to actually have the uptime and the resilience. Our grid are still quite dirty, such okay. as uh, Ashburn <clears throat> and such as Ashburn. So we still have some ways to go to catch up in terms of what the European Union and many of the countries throughout the Nordics region has already embraced a 24 seven uh, clean grid. So we have many lessons we can learn and, and work with each other. Asia is coming around, um, I would say, uh, very quickly. I think Australia and New Zealand are really embracing renewable energy, but it's a challenge right now still in many parts of Asia, such as Taiwan. Um, and I know Singapore recently named an anointed um, a Ministry of Sustainability, which is wonderful. And they have made some national pledge that they're going to reach green. Uh, and we do need China to get into the program because of the sheer volume uh, of what they are actually going to be computing um, in order for us to make a difference to address the climate crisis. So I would say Europe are definitely ahead. And I hope today that uh, the audience um, will interact with each other and learn from each other so we can actually make it a global collaboration. No, per perfectly, Susanna. That's that's great to to get the insight from um, someone who is involved on the global space. So you uh, over the twenty five years, you know all the details. You mentioned um, this one billion dollar uh, fund you can utilize in order to accelerate these projects here. And um, yeah, what we experienced all here, we have our training center in Frankfurt. We're working with the big colo providers. And as you mentioned, just look at uh, the numbers, uh, the amount of traffic just through the video conferences like Teams, Zoom, uh, you name them. And uh, yeah, we, we have a solid backbone. And um, I think um, a lot, there, there, of course, COVID, no one loves it, but uh, people are aware that data centers are the backbone. They're, they are almost as uh, important as uh, water and power. You know, because if there's no internet, there is no Netflix, there's no Disney Channel, and there's no Zoom. And uh, what we are um, basically experienced here from a training perspective is that there is um, raising demand of talent. And um, I think it's great that you mentioned it. Uh, we're becoming, becoming more and more um, certain requests about, um, yeah, how you how to build a carbon neutral data center because we have standards and everything out there but uh, you know we are teaching to the en5600 but it's not really giving you advice it gives you ideas yeah um and we have of course some regulation here that's why the the power 
prices so extremely high compared to to other countries and um i think uh, that a lot of awareness has been created for the last six months six months here that's uh, what we at uh, the feedback at least from the european market um i think it's pretty much the same in the us in the states and as you said asia is coming uh, is following as well here indeed tom i actually agree with you um I still have to admit that uh, the European Union overall is definitely still ahead in terms of achieving the sustainable uh, infrastructure uh, for edge computing, cloud computing, and also the colo provider. Uh, recently, it is absolutely a privilege. Um, I joined also my co-inventor in one of the startup that I'm actually a board member of. And uh, the EU has issued um, a design request, and we were very much part of it to actually also help to promote it. It's actually called E2P2, which is Equal uh, Edge Prime Power. Effectively, it's a standard that we can all subscribe to and we can all invent on top of to ensure that it actually uses um, clean energy. So it's a journey towards, um, I would say, building resilient net zero data center. Um, so I'm very excited to be part of it, working with uh, Michael Inventor, who is actually based in uh, Switzerland, um, oh. and, uh, and other consortium, which is uh, wonderful in terms of actually having their support. Um, mm -hmm. I am also very excited, I have to say, regarding the U.S. recent election um, <laughs> uh, with our... With our um, new administrator who will take uh, more in office starting the beginning of the new year uh, is showing a lot of hope and evidence that the climate crisis agenda will be dealt with in a more systematic and professional way. So I'm very much part of the team that actually helped to develop and implement what we call an equitable climate action plan because it was clearly missing um, in the current administration for the past couple of years. And we're seeing a lot of uh, the damage being made. Uh, it's very frustrating for many of the hyperscalers, you probably know are headquartered here in the US and the Bay Area, that we yeah. weren't able to do it in our own backyard. Um, but indeed, you know, it is never too late to uh, make the right steps. So hopefully we will pick up the speed and um, be able to support that. Because in addition to the hyperscaler, Tom, I have to admit that I'm, it's just absolutely a pleasure to share that with you. Uh, during the pandemic time, over 200 new enterprise customers who are using cloud computing, they come out from the financial services sector, come out from the transportation mobility industry, and also the oil and gas have pledged that they will be using also 100% renewable energy um, and uh, meet the goal uh, by 2030. Uh, and many of the projects are starting in 2021. Um, so one of them I'm actually leading is the Green Nation Projects, uh, which is basically an ecosystem of net zero data center design and implementation. So while well, we all look forward to the new year, uh, in addition, having the vaccines and, uh, and also be able to you know, uh, get together and uh, sincerely, uh, put a lot of these great designs into deployment. Uh, and like I said, we have uh, a lot to catch up on because the European countries are clearly uh, in your DNA that you already know 
about the importance of uh, sustainable infrastructure. Perfect, uh, Susanna. Actually, uh, would be great. Uh, I'm really looking forward. We would, would have met uh, in Frankfurt this year. Um, hopefully, there will be a face-to-face. -face. Um, I lived in the States. I love the Bay, Bay Area. I lived there for more than seven years. I'm more than happy to come there as well. Uh, no, I learned about uh, these initiatives and um, you are driving them. Um, we should stick uh, heads together and see what uh, how we can promote them uh, about our um, academy. You know, to, to even grab more traction here. Absolutely, absolutely. I, I we training is extremely important. You know, uh, and I'm continual my role also as a lecturer um, mm -hmm. in the Stanford University, specifically the School of Engineering for Urban Sustainability Design, um, and also connected uh, with National University of Singapore specifically about building the net zero data center using sustainable material. So it'd be wonderful to connect uh, with you and uh, learn from you so we can actually form an alliance to uh, encourage more future generation, hopefully girls, uh, more women to join into the yeah. IT infrastructure. That would be my dream. That will meet one yeah. of the SDG goals from a diversity yeah. perspective. And, uh, and like I said, I, I think our new vice president select uh, elect is actually going to uh, make a difference uh, by being an example that uh, the IT industry and the data center industry need to be sustainable and hopefully we have more diverse uh, uh, new generation joining us and you yeah. can help us. Absolutely. And, and, and you know, I've been uh, I've been in the industry for more than 25 years and we have to start especially with the training. You know, it's a niche in the data center field 15 years ago. And as you said, I mean, uh, on average, we have maybe two, three percent of uh, women in this industry. And I think uh, there's a lot of uh, potential, actually, just to make them aware that the data center is a very, very interesting subject, as we pointed out. And I hope our audience gets the idea. It's not about computer. It's about environment. It's about the global approach, yeah, global warming. And we can help here. And I think... Um, Let's cross fingers and make it happen, Susanna. I totally agree. I, I focus on uh, design mm -hmm. is wonderful, uh, but it's more beautiful when it is actually being implemented and you got the results to show. So um, I think that's basically what we need when we start thinking about the next generation sustainable data center is be able to measure the work that we do. Perfect. Cool. Guys, thank you for this uh, for this lovely excursion. Uh, I like to chuck in again to um, ask a couple of questions to precise two or three things. Susanna, you mentioned uh, the triple zero um, data center, green data center, clean data center. All these notions flying around. Do you have some definitions for us? What is a green data center? What is a triple net data center? Um, is, is, is it a synonym? What is behind these notions? Yes. So a green data center to me is um, very simple. It's a data center that does not use dirty fuel and fossil fuel fuel um, to power it. Um, so a green data center effectively can measure itself 24 by 7, 365 with zero carbon, zero emission, and zero waste. Um, 
And so anytime that you show in your operational plan uh, or your ESG report that a green data center is a uphold citizens in terms of demonstrating and exemplifying the results uh, that it can actually operate and perform in a digital transformation industry and a connected everything era without actually any damage to the environment uh, and also take on the social responsibility uh, by not using fossil fuel and not using dirty energy. Mm -hmm. That's that's cool because the, the social aspect and social impact of data centers is also something you've discussed in one of your recent articles um, that you've shared on our event platform. Um, a short um, ad window, uh, if someone hasn't checked out Techarati yet um, or the Cloud Expo um, or data center newsletter, you will find Susanna Cass's article, uh, articles there. Uh, in her latest one, she's actually discussing the, the new approaches um, around these notions. But um, just to go very briefly about the social impact. So do you see any, uh, any, anything to add in, in terms of what the social impact of a data center could be? Because I, of, of course, it is a social responsibility not to pollute the environment, but um, is it also social responsibility to perhaps provide jobs or uh, not uh, rely on the grid too heavily or uh, kind of embed a data center into a local um, ecosystem of businesses or a social life so how how would you how would your ideal social socially responsible data center look like also uh, include more women and be more diverse in in its choice of uh, data center professionals of course um, do, do you see any any more room for that yes I do uh, Tim um, I think everything that you mentioned are actual very excellent examples in terms of the triple line, triple bottom line that we're trying to do. So let me start with something very basic for the audience. Um, the first thing that we data center professionals focus on, like I mentioned, is resilient. So we do whatever it takes to actually get a data center up and running in the most economic uh, gain and the fastest way that we can basically commission a data center and we measure our success by what I used to call a total cost of ownership and that only shows up in the balance sheet uh, that your CFO will take a look at right so um, that is what we call a single bottom line now I think what you mentioned Tim has it's by doing so is good uh, but insufficient um, and being good in life is good, um, but we all know that you need to continue to excel or else many companies that we used to know don't exist anymore. It happens the same thing with data center. So we need to basically embrace the environment as well. That's why we wanted to use clean energy and that will then create a double bottom line. So you not only measure yourself in the economic gain on the balance sheet, but you also measure yourself in terms of the no emission and no carbon used uh, as a bottom line. But what is needed is actually the social responsibility aspect to create a triple bottom line. So examples are all the one that you talked about in terms of creating green jobs, 
take on social responsibility. But more importantly, in my article that you referenced, uh, I advocate that we need to create a symbiotic relationship of shared infrastructure by the data centers, such as energy and connectivity, with the mobility and the water and waste that the community that the data center lives in. It, they both of them need to harmonize in terms of how we basically use the resources. The waste that come out from the community can be converted into biomass that can feed as a fuel into the data center. The waste heat from the data center, instead of tossing it out in the air, can be captured and be able to use by the community for district heating, such as in the Nordic region that you guys probably getting colder. But at the same time, it also can be a source that the, the wasted heat from the data center can be a source of fuel to the, uh, the greenhouse uh, that you need to build, um, that you need to grow food for the food cluster. So by actually having a symbiotic relationship between the circular economy communities and the data center, you can coexist just like nature system does have a symbiotic relationship. And similarly, when we revamp the infrastructure of connectivity and mobility, we absolutely can share. So folks should be excited about living near an edge data center because you will have very, very good Wi-Fi and connectivity. And you do not need to build a double infrastructure or redundant infrastructure. We should be able to actually have a symbiotic relationship from a shared perspective because we all know in the new times that we are all, um, you know, in a lockdown environment, we need to play, we oftentimes work, but we also need to learn and we also need to go shopping online. So, and we take on different persona as an individual and the infrastructure can absolutely operate the same way because we always have built the infrastructure from a role-based access perspective. So we can allow folks to learn from an educational facility uh, perspective. We can enable the folks to be able to work and be able to entertain themselves in terms of watching, uh, you know, many online movie or, or play game. You do not need to have a separate infrastructure of connectivity uh, be able to achieve that and did it with mobility and uh, transportation. We can absolutely use the same hydrogen that you will power the future generation hydrogen fuel car and use the same hydrogen as a fuel that we can actually store um, renewable energy that it can feed into the data center. So in my opinion, having this social responsibility and a symbiotic relationship uh, is the quantifiable goal that we need to build for next generation data center. Okay. Yeah, it looks like um, you've you've got the vision. Um, before we talk about the solutions to come there, you've mentioned hydrogen. You've mentioned um, circularity. Uh, let's 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 stay with the problems for a while. I imagine you've talked to lots of data center professionals, perhaps even operators, clients of yours, partners of yours. How much of a resistance, or like provocatively ask, how much of uh, ignorance, perhaps even did you did you face um, when when promoting uh, triple net zero data centers? 
the resistance in the wall that I would uh, I would have to admit are people who do not follow science and uh, ignore data. And we as a country face that for the last uh, couple of years. Um, so it's a little bit frustrating in that regard. But I would say in the data center field, oftentimes that uh, we are very data driven. Uh, many of them actually have perfected uh, this field, uh, Tim, uh, because that's basically where artificial intelligence and deep learning come from is really be able to have a very massive database of information and you'll be able to write algorithm and you'll be able to codify um, the run the run rules, what we call it, and um, be able to perform that, uh, the function accordingly, right? So you'd be more efficient uh, in that regard. So um, I have to admit that this year has been very welcoming to many of the folks that I basically talked to, even though we have not been able to achieve some of the design goals that we had in mind. Um, but I don't have too many people think I'm crazy or it is impossible. Um, but I have to admit, uh, being an uptime punk, no idea is too crazy. Because if someone says something to you and you have an idea and they don't think that it would be possible and your response should be, watch me. Right. I mean, who would have no, uh, believed 10, 15 years ago when you were uh, at Stanford uh, discovering that there is something wrong with climate? Who would have then thought that we will someday grow tomatoes on our data centers or dry wood pellets to then use for our uh, uh, domestic heating uh, systems? So um, I like the fact um, that you consider yourself an uptime punk. Uh, and uh, well, a very warm welcome uh, from from our side. So definitely, there will be a next episode with Susanna Cast. Paul, do you know how many episodes we need to follow up with people we've already had on the podcast? I think we uh, sorted for the next I, I, I 10, have a 20 long years. List. <laughs> I, I have a long list, but um, there's a there's a really great pattern coming together now because um, we started the journey with well, how data centers are run and what happens in data centers. And, and now we reached a point where it's like, how can we make data centers more environmental friendly? And also that also that we have people now that are so passionate behind, like yourself, Susanna, it's really, you, when you speak, I think even everybody that's listening to this podcast, they can really hear that passion, how you're standing behind every single word that you're saying. And I think it's really great. And um, it's people like you that, that make really a massive difference in this world and uh, for the generations to come. Um, and I, I always like to say that, that uh, it's more like an educational war. Um, we have to educate society and we have to educate people. And um, it's, it's ignorance. And I think sometimes we need to start with um, the people that are the closest to us, which is then sometimes our children or it's our neighbors or it's our close and friends. Um, and even if it's using um, the recyclable water bottle instead of buying a, a water bottle every time you go to the supermarket or um, like myself i don't use any form of public transport anymore i just cycle so i cycled this year already close to seventeen thousand kilometers um, because i said okay this is my pledge to to my planet um, i already have a couple of crazy idea for crazy ideas for next year um, one of the ideas me and tim were talking about just to put in a room out there is um 
instead of flying next year to the Frankfurt event, um, well, gonna get on a bike and cycle over there and just uh, make it a part of the sustainable um, campaign. But I wanted to ask you something. Um, we spoke a little bit briefly before we started about um, mobility and electric cars. So what are your thoughts on electric cars? I mean, yes, it's really nice that it's electric, but um, what about all the leftover after 20 years or 10 years when the car doesn't run anymore? Um, what do you do then with the batteries? Yes, well, I like your battery very much from a data center perspective. <laughs> um, I guess being um, being a female, I, I I am not that appealed to the electric vehicle from the chassis perspective. I say, well, whatever, okay. I mean, obviously, yeah. I have to admit that if you meet, if you take a look at iNEC, indeed, I have to admit that uh, the used battery that come out from the car. Uh, after that use case is performed, it is beautiful, Paul, in terms of a product that the data center um, can use. So I'll just be very specific. I would say in the last, I would say, decade, uh, 10, 11 years now, I stopped counting. Uh, we have been actually taking uh, the second life battery, we call it. Uh, and again, coming out from eBay, I like use items, okay? So... Um, or what we call pre-owned item. So that the battery actually that come out, the lithium ion battery that come out from a lot of the electric vehicle, um, a beautiful product that can be functioned as a stationary um, power uh, source uh, for other applications such as data center and actually uh, other mission critical operations such as the biomedical field. Uh, which currently now has turned into a mission critical businesses, of course, because of analyzing all the tests that we do in terms of determining the COVID cases and the research that goes in in terms of the trial that we can all then have uh, more vac the vaccines come out that we can all um, enjoy and protect ourselves uh, in that regard. So oftentimes you don't need to draw the energy from the grid. The second life battery are very useful in that regard. Uh, they're coming out from the mobility industry. So to me, I think that's wonderful. And that's the beauty of the circular economy is you keep the resources in perpetual use. Um, so I advocate that we should depart from the linear economy. We shouldn't just take resources, use them, and then toss it out in the landfill. Uh, that would be not good for the environment. Uh, but your example is perfect in that regard. Um, I think the data center will very much welcome the use of the lithium ion battery, much so better than using diesel generator for that function. Yeah, of course. I mean, it, it makes sense. Um, if, uh, another question: um, if if you could if you could go back in time, um, would you tell yourself maybe twenty years ago to start looking into circular economy a little bit earlier? Um, because Tim asked you when you realized first time that we need to do more in terms of protecting the planet and all of these things. But um, thinking back and of all the progress we've made over the last, I would say, let's say 10 years, um, if you could go back 30 years and could tell a younger self um, where you're studying uh, computer science, um, would you tell yourself, hey, there's something you, you need to be aware of and you could make a massive difference if we start early? Yes, yes. Um, a few of us actually have been in the industry for a long time. Um, would be saying that I am so sorry for the future generation for the work that we have done in the past two decades because we were blissfully ignorant 
uh, in terms of the way how we use the resources. So I want to draw everybody's attention to one thing, water. Um, data center use resources such as water to construct every new one. 1.8 liters of water is used by an average data center for every one kilowatt hour it consumes. So if you genuinely watch Netflix for 12 hours, and I hope you don't, because nobody needs to watch movie for 12 hours a day, um, I think we should do more like you, Paul, to be outside, to be cycling, taking a walk or do a run, uh, wear your mask, of course. Um, but an average of 7.6 liters of water is also used to generate every each kilowatt of hour of energy while we're using the water to manufacture the data center material. So if you add it all together, and I apologize, I only have the statistics from the United States, there's 626 billion liters were used of water in 2014 for the data center and it's expected to be 660 billion liters of water use at the end of this year. And I think the number is even gonna be higher because of the growth caused by the pandemic. So this is exactly the same quantity of water we are taking away from the community and the societies. I want us to reflect on that. We can never be sorry to use clean water we must find a way to use technology and be able to generate water instead. So currently now, one of our design that I'm working on with a couple of the hyperscaler and a few leading colo providers are using technology such as fuel cell and hydrogen to not only provide on-site carbon-free energy, Paul, but at the same time, create a net positive using immersion cooling. So we are creating a net positive of creating water. So not only do we not need to have water for building new data center, but because of the way that how we are composing or capturing carbon and be able to get rid of them uh, from the carbon emission perspective, we were able to have a net generation of H2O, which is basically water. So to me, that is a game changer in terms of the, the importance of the climate crisis, how we can use innovation and technology. So we've gone from consuming the water to be net positive of creating water. And we are definitely running a lot of this experiment right now in the next generation of the Nest Zero data center. In my opinion, that is extremely exciting because the usage effectiveness of these Nest Zero data center for WUE, which stands for water usage effectiveness, is near zero. So we accomplished the goal of not using the water by using a technology like immersion cool. And mm. by having hydrogen as a clean fuel, utilizing fuel cell, modular fuel cell that we can put anywhere, you know, from the edge or the cloud or the colo, we are mm. actually creating uh, a net positive in terms of the water consumption. So 30 years ago, we just felt that, hey, you know, we're just gonna go take the resources when we need to build data center without a recourse about the consequences of our own action. And I, I felt that uh, we need to change some of these habits and the solutions are here today and we need to work hard and marvel it and 
even improve about it. So that's where the new generation comes in, because we do care about um, the results of our own actions. Um, some some fun facts for the listeners when it comes to uh, immersion cooling. Um, we had um, um, Francois last week from OVH Cloud, and he was telling us that they had frogs living in the servers because they were using water cooling for the server units. So basically, because it's a nice temperature, a, a, a couple of families of frogs have basically started living in the data centers in France. Um, but this just shows you how it becomes a full ecosystem um coming back to the to to, to, to the water um i mean a couple of there's one project which just came up in the news um we're still trying to get somebody from their side on the podcast which is was microsoft basically they put an entire data center in the ocean um is, is that what you mean that we people are starting to make progress and hyperscalers and big companies are looking more into getting this um problem solved is that one of the prime examples you would say? Or? Yes, yes, that's actually a very good example. And I shared the keynote uh, speaking at uh, Data Center Dynamics with uh, a Microsoft uh, executive from the Advanced Research Lab. And, mm. uh, you know, he looked over at me and he basically said, you know, it's been working. We've been off uh, the grid, electric grid. Uh, we uh, this advanced research lab using you know the design that we work with this uh, women here um, uh, has been operating without a downtime knock on a wood since uh, 2017. So we're very very proud that we achieve like I said the resilience and the uptime goal first. That is actually the primary function of a data center is to be always up and uh, uh, working uh, when you wanted it. Um, and at the same time, it has been powered by on-site generation. And uh, so that's a very good example that uh, we're not just talking, you know, pie in the sky design some future. We actually have been implemented in the past decade. And what we like to do is actually make that to be the new normal. Um, and we should go towards that journey together. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. Um, who would you say is leading it? Because, like, for us in Europe, we, we hear very often that, um, well, we heard about, I think, in Sweden or Denmark, where they're building the data center completely made out of wood. Uh, but who would you say is, like, who are the knights in shining armors that are leading that environmental campaign right now globally? Um, because you said it yourself, due to the elections and uh, the current government and the new government it, on your side of the pond, things will get brighter in 21 um, in many aspects. Um, but who would you say is, is, is leading really that environmental campaign to make it a better world? Well, my answer is very simple. Paul is you. It's all the audience listening in today. It's folks like Tim. You all as a consumer can demand that anytime that you use energy, the provider by the colocation or the cloud or the content delivery uh, platform that you use, you should demand them that they need to serve it up with clean energy. It will work. Consumer at the end of the day is the power um, from the economic perspective. If you start all demanding, if everybody hears today, first of all, thank you for listening. If you start demanding from your providers 
that you want to see your next movie, your next computing, your next uh, Zoom platform, that every kilowatt that you consume need to be powered by clean energy and they need to prove it to you, it would have a profound effect that the provider will all lined up to achieve this goal. So we will continue to work as infrastructure builders to, make, to revamp the infrastructure. But I fundamentally believe that the next generation, the millennial who will stop actually buying from online from some platform because they know that um, they are all done by dirty energy. So we need to all stand up and uh, demand our providers uh, need to be sustainable. And that will make an effect. Um, maybe we should make this an Uptown Punk 21 pledge because you're also part of the Uptown Punks now. So um, maybe maybe we should make this a pledge for 21 that we ask our listeners to to make to take that pledge. But yeah, I, I think you're definitely right because change starts within yourself and you can't expect others to change if you don't change your own ways. So yes. Um, yes. I think that's a beautiful way of putting it all together and bringing it full circle. Um, so this means for... How how do you see yourself, the data center market and everything developing over the next 10 to 20 to 30 years? And where would you like to see it? And where do you think in a realistic way you will have the biggest hurdles on the way? Well, I'm very, I'm very encouraged that the vaccine will be coming. And so all of us can actually have some kind of a way that we can uh, have some kind of a gathering in a, in a, saved uh, manner globally. Um, I am very bullish that uh, an equitable climate action plan will be in place uh, from the US administration. And I already seeing the evidence by the hyperscaler and many of the enterprise client um, did not uh, sway from the sustainability pledge. Even the challenging times of the pandemic, if nothing else, everybody is even more um, ambitious to be able to drive um, their uh, commitment uh, to results. Uh, so I think in the next era is a very exciting time for everybody to pay attention and join into the sustainable journey. Uh, I fundamentally believe there'll be more green data center being built. Uh, I still think Europe is going to be ahead. Uh, U.S. will do a catch up. Uh, but I have to admit that, you know, watch out for countries like Singapore. Once they decide to do something, they're going to be on top. Um, and, they, and, and, they, and, the administra and the ministry and the government and the administrator were all going to line up. Um, and some of them already coming up with policy uh, that would say if, if your data center do not meet a certain usage effectiveness metrics, Uh, such as 1.2, you will actually stop operating. So, which is important because you need to carry it, but you also need to kind of have a policy in place to stop you from doing something if you continue to be an energy hawk uh, to the rest of your community. So, it's very exciting in that regard. Um, one of the key things that I felt would be important is not just talked about ambition and goals, but be able to measure yourself. Um, so I've been working on um, a software-defined platform that in, embraces sustainability calculator and emission metrics. 
So for every kilowatt of hour consumed by the cloud computing and the IT infrastructure, uh, you should have visibility uh, on your iPhone or your favorite devices of the world, uh, your pad or whatnot, you should actually get visibility of um, how much carbon and emission are being used, if any. And if you don't have it, then I think it would be wonderful, okay? So we're gonna make that to be very transparent and make it very visible. So the consumers of the like will be able to make their choices about which platform that they're gonna do online shopping or which movie or content they're gonna see. Uh, does it align with your own personal commitment about sustainability? And we're gonna make that very visible. So I, I felt that that will be an area that will be a, a good way for us to uh, be visible and be transparent. So just like Uptime Punk, um, you folks are very thoughtful individuals. Um, you have been in it for a long time. And I think it'd be great if you actually have the quantitative data and the chart to be able to show around the world by saying that, hey, here's the map. And here's some of the people that have the five green leaves. And here are the people who are actually still you know, operating in the scowl category because they're using fossil fuel and shame them. And um, I think it'll be very good that we we all keep each other, you know, uh, honest with uh, data and facts um, per kilowatt consumed, which is why I think uh, many of the hyperscale are already taking the action to demonstrate themselves that uh, at any site, any time, any application, they are committed to you that they will provide you their computing with clean energy. And I think that is very, very exciting to actually um, feel the ambition uh, coming to reality. So let's put them all in action. Um, I'm going to ask a cheeky question. Which oh, hyperscale? I, I have a cheeky uh, question. Wait, no, well, let me ask the cheeky one first. <laughs> um, which hyperscaler do you think does it the best at the moment? I would say the hyperscaler that has the most success in terms of the best is the results that they have done. Uh, clearly would be Google. Google has been in it for over two decades. They have, it is because of them, over five gigawatt of power purchase agreement and renewable projects is possible because they demand that new project to be formed. Um, but I would be glad to say that um, many of the other hyperscaler like Microsoft is also very ambitious because not only they want to be carbon neutral, but they also want to be carbon negative. And they're going to start counting uh, their own carbon emissions since the company forming. So which is very, very um, exciting that... from that ambition perspective, because not only they're going to go forward, but they're going to but they're going to redeem themselves from the day that uh, per kilowatt since the founding. But it's good to also have AWS join the party. <laughs> so <laughs> it is good. It is good that uh, AWS also joined because of the sheer uh, market share that they have in cloud mm. computing. So we must actually have them joined in. Uh, so all the cloud providers now are in and it doesn't matter who started it. Uh, we all are, we all have our own attributes of success and we should really collaborate and share, which is why I was excited to hear from uh, Tim earlier uh, and uh, Paul and yourself and Tom 
that you folks can help to uh, have an educational alliance. I think this is very important because there's much that we all can learn from each other. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, for, for just it, it is not public yet, so when people will listen to this, but f so for next year, um, our event, um, we've done a bit of, let's say, we, we, we punked it up a little bit Good. and we're getting a bit in the mix and we changed the whole branding and so in Europe, there's a campaign which is called Gaia X, um, which is a massive campaign. But then we said, okay, it's not just about Gaia X; it's also data center is more than that. So um, it's going to be um, visualized as in um, we're going really into um, well, Tim, how would you say it? It looks like Amazonas. <laughs> it's like the rainforest. Um, we yeah. want to next year give a platform, to be honest, to show how it can be done the right way. And um, this is another big shout out there to anybody that's listening and, and they're doing great things and um, things that Susanna would also, I would say, approve of that they're doing the right thing with the hyperscalers or with the data centers. Um, come forward. We want to give these people a platform to show how um, we can be more efficient uh, with our um, usage. Oh, Tim, what do you think? Yeah, definitely. Um, uh, I, I, I had a cheeky question, but yours already kind of covered it. I, I was just about to say, with great power comes great responsibility. <laughs> um, one of my favorite movies, uh, Spider-Man, for those who don't know. Um, it's, no, it's, it's good to see that the hyperscalers actually um, know of their power to, to, to not only make money, but to change things and, and, and still be profitable as we elaborated because circularity and 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 um, energy efficiency are good for the bottom line uh so much we know um uh, just to, let's hope that they also will take on responsibility in in perhaps other fields of their activity um as in um, uh, data privacy and all that but that's what we have gaia x for in europe um which is basically a framework for digital infrastructure and data sovereignty. So another big topic um, that that is on our agenda. And as Paul said, it doesn't it doesn't it's it's not doable without without uptime, and it's not doable uptime is not doable anymore without uh, a holistic uh, sustainability approach. Yeah, so. That was basically my last words on this podcast. I believe, um, as always, the guest has uh, the last words. Susanna, the stage is, is yours. Oh, thank you, Tim. And thank you, Paul, again, for hosting me today. Um, I guess my last word is um, thank you. Thank you for hosting this podcast. Thank you for doing what you do every day um, to bring this phenomenal platform and performance to the audience. Uh, thank you to all of you uh, audience for listening today. And more importantly, for sharing your own ambition in terms of what you think the next journey of sustainability future should be, that we should be listening to you, that we should be working with you when we build our infrastructure. Uh, it is Thanksgiving week. So, and I know many families, um, are compromised in terms of uh, either losing their loved ones or can only celebrate in a virtual gathering. Um, but stay resilient, just like a data center, uh, be <laughs> patient. Um, I, I genuinely want to thank all the frontline workers and all the volunteer workers and for all of us that uh, 
we all need to join as one world um, because our life has been significantly disrupted by the pandemic. But every time there's a crisis, it gives us an opportunity for us to be closer with each other, to be more thoughtful in our thinking and, um, and indeed building a more sustainable future is the right thing to do uh, for our next generation. And, and it is really an important topic and the climate crisis is here. The countdown starts now. So we all need to take part in um, making it uh, a more sustainable future. And uh, I'm glad to have a dialogue with anyone that wanted to share their opinion about how I can personally be better and or how I can actually enable you to achieve the goal that you want to be. So again, thank you everyone for um, listening in and thank you to you, Tim and Paul for hosting me today. Thank you, my pleasure. Tim, um, we have a new punk. We have a new punk. Um, we have a new punk. I, I mean, this, a, this was a self-declaration pledge. I mean, it's like it's like you know, it's like I can't be prouder than this. Um, as someone like Susanna says, "Well, I'm an uptown punk," hmm. and looking at that, um, just just. Just, oh my God, I need to get some tissues, mate. Something like this just makes me realize how far we have come with this podcast. It's it's really, it's incredible, um, the journey um, we have taken all our listeners on even. Um, looking at it, it's just like, we're really very grateful that you guys are listening to us, subscribing to us, and um, also taking part in um, the conversations that we're having. And um, yeah, I mean... She she touched on some really great topics, um, especially the one of my favorites is what to do with the batteries of the electric cars, how they can help the data centers, mm. and then also with um, the wastage of water. Um, what, what were your thoughts, Tim? Yeah, I mean I've said it. It's 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 the the notion of power and the responsibility. So the more you have resources uh, or the more you use resource the more responsibility you have it goes for hyperscales but it goes also as susanna says so um so very precisely it, it also goes for us consumers the more you consume the more responsible you are um if you have a, a, a hd flat screen in your flat and and, and love movies that's fine but use it responsibly it's 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 it shouldn't be a hollow phrase really if you if you have a big car to drive to work maybe think about cycling sometime if you can um if as me and and i myself am am a guy like this if you own like four uh four laptops uh because you always want the newest and and the best to run podcasts or edit them or whatever well perhaps just think about if it's really time to buy a new new one same goes with phones and all that so yeah it's i think it's it's power and responsibility for me and uh, how the two come together that's that's really the the lesson learned this time for me and um so power to you <laughs> 
power to all of you and um uh yeah stay no, negative <laughs> we should give it like a star wars one may the force be with you <laughs> something like this and uh yeah to all the people that celebrate thanksgiving happy thanksgiving to all of you happy thanksgiving uh, diwali is just um has just passed yeah and um happy diwali of course to all of you out there um tim do you want to hear some some stats about how we're, where we're going with the podcast i thought you were yeah. going to play a christmas song no well too I, early too early <laughs> it's, it's too early I, I i just i just think it's fascinating because it's 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 you listeners that really make us do this and looking at statistics and then i i see that we had only only this week 309 downloads from india um and this is one of the places we're going in a couple of weeks with uh, some of our guests it's really great um thanks for all of you listening from out there and of course our german folks and um all the other people around the world and keep it up and thanks for supporting us and thanks for subscribing and we have a couple of more nice speakers lined up for you guys to get you also over the holidays so me and tim are going to be really busy in the next couple of weeks um to make sure that you guys are going to have some punk time even while we're all sitting at home with our families so in case if you have to have to go for a walk and you just want to have a good laugh we're going to make sure that we're going to try to make it as funny as possible and uh, tim i think we should ask a question what's your favorite christmas song for the episodes to come up um i but, love uh, that idea yeah what's your favorite christmas song my favorite christmas song um baby it's cold outside i yeah, don't I know that one yet <laughs> we can't play it i guess for the rights but uh... <laughs> I, I i don't really know the, the, the thing is for me i i I rather like really traditional, classical mountain Christmas music. Well, mountain really Christmas music. Well, it's not really sentimental, but like we call it like Stubenmusik. Ah, um, yeah, I know what you mean. Like some folklore, folk, folkloristic. Yeah, so like with the with the harp and with the guitar and the sitar and um, mm. very little vocal in it. But that's my kind of Christmassy. Um, Music and hey, talking about it, I got my tree coming next week. So um, when we're going to be recording next episode, I'm going to be sitting next to my Christmas tree. Ready? Hey. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah. Anyways, um, thanks all for listening, and we wish you a great time. And keep a positive mind and test negative. And yeah. Cheers. Thanks. Cheers. See you next time. Bye bye.